Hello and welcome to the President's Podcast, brought to you by Get French Football News, your home of French football in English. In this extraordinary series, we sit down with French football's power brokers to discuss their journeys into the game and the future of the world's most successful export market of footballing talent. I'm delighted to say that we're joined today by presenter, journalist and broadcaster Darren Tullett. French football's Englishman boasts a near 20-plus year career with experiences at Canet Plus and Sport. Darren, welcome to the President's Podcast. Thanks for jumping on today. Well, uh, very happy to be with you. Um, maybe I'm making uh, history as well in that I'm not an actual president. Yes, you, you are <laughs> certainly making, uh, making history in, in, the, in the broadcast. Then we'd have had Vincent Inyema, who is, a, I feel like, a president in his own accord. Yes. Um, and, and, a, and a few agents on this series too. But no, you're certainly the president of broadcasting for us. So we're very, very happy to have you here. Okay, well, delighted to be with you guys. Um, all right, Darren, let's jump straight in. How would you introduce yourself to someone who maybe doesn't know you listening to this or isn't immediately familiar with you, uh, especially for the sort of international French football fans out there that maybe haven't come across your story? Well, I'll start off by saying I'm, I'm, I'm a lucky man. Uh, I have been on French TV, uh, working therefore in French, obviously, for nearly 20 years now. Um, and you think, hang on, an English guy on French TV? And I would say, yeah, it is kind of unlikely, isn't it? Uh, but basically, uh, 20 or yeah, 18 years ago, Canal Plus started doing a, a, a kind of, if you're from Britain, a match of the day style program, uh, but on a Sunday night when they would do uh, and show highlights of the top European leagues. And for the new look version of this show that they were launching back then in 2002, they wanted to have uh, like a correspondent from each of the four big countries. Uh, so, so from Germany, Spain, uh, England, and Italy. And they kind of uh, left it at the last minute and uh, <laughs> suddenly sort of threw out a net across, you know, across Paris, like uh, the guy who was going to present the show saying, uh, do you know any foreign you know, correspondents who could talk about football you know, in French, more or less in French, on, the, on this show? And I got a call out of the blue from a friend of, of him. And, and basically, long story short, uh, I was on TV before I knew it and without any experience. And I was greatly aided and abetted by the fact that everybody else around the table, apart from the presenter, uh, was also a TV virgin. And although I wasn't good, I was not the worst. So... As they went, as the show went on week after week, and I was there to talk about the Premier League and tell stories about you know the history of different clubs and the rival the rivalry between different clubs and and tell little stories that you can you know that when when you're from a country you know stuff and also you know of course you get access to the to that country's press much more easily and I was basically uh, very soon you know the the face of English football in France and, and like I say I was pretty hopeless but uh, everyone else on the show was even more hopeless than me so the time it took them to replace the person who was first doing Spain and then the, the person who was doing Italy to find somebody else more competent uh, I, I basically sort of learned how to do it as I, as I you know as I, as I went along and even though it took me uh, absolutely years and years to become even halfway proficient um, I carried on doing that show and eventually got hired and taken away from my real job which was writing so I used to be a reporter for Bloomberg News, uh, based here in Paris, and uh, and there was me on TV. And one thing led to another. I was the, the guy doing all the Premier League games and the big Premier League shows, and then from there I went. I moved on to to doing European football in general, and then I got a transfer from Canal Plus to Be in Sports, where I've now been for eight years. There you go. Let's let's unpick some of that, Darren. It was wonderfully summarised. Um, but um, you mentioned match of the day. It's funny, obviously, Canal Plus in 2019-20 sort of brought it back or tried to bring it back this mm -hmm. season. I think they call it King of the Day now. 
it's obviously a real spin on the reference BBC show, as you, as you mentioned. Yeah, because I was asked by uh, then the then sports boss at Canal Plus um, to do a little Saturday night slot on my own uh, highlights of the of the of the Premier League uh, from mm. from the Saturday before the traditional French program, which is called Jour de Foot, which is their version of a real match of the day. Yeah. So I said to the guys at Canal Plus, "Hey, you know that in England the show is called Match of the Day, and of course in France nobody can do the th." So yeah. I said, we could kind of like just play along with that and just call it match of the day, you know, seeing as that's how everyone pronounces it. And they went and ended up running with that idea. And so that, that became the name of the show. And I would pop up on a Saturday night and give you your sort of 15, 20 minutes of highlights of the Premier League before the, the, the French football show started. We're four minutes in, Darren. You've already given us a massive exclusive here that you are the, the birther of that name. It's fantastic. It really I, I, should, I should have, yeah, I should have like got the copyright on it or something. <laughs> They're still using it. I'm not there anymore. It's outrageous. But, as you say, you kind of jumped in by surprise. Often those experiences are the best. Obviously, it's scary at the same time. I'm wondering when you prepped for that, although you didn't have an enormous amount of time to, presumably from being tapped to the thing beginning, would you study the sort of Gary Lineker's, Alan Hansen's during that time in terms of, oh gosh, how should I do this? Or, or would you look at others? Because as you said, you really sort of were parachuted into TV almost. Yeah, well, you know, it was very funny because um, I had a full-time job and this became like the Sunday night show became my little bit on the side and I would just go <laughs> along on a Sunday. And, 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 you know, what's amazing is that when you look back, you often look at TV shows and everything looks so well-oiled and professional and everything. And, and behind the scenes, sometimes there's complete panic and, and nothing. Nobody really knows what's going on. And Canada Plus was an extremely well-run station uh, yeah. back in the day with, with great, you know, means at our disposition. But this was really a last minute operation. And like I say, the casting was done on a, I got a phone call on Monday from the, from the show's presenter, a guy called uh, Hervé Matou. If you're from France, you know him. He's, he is the, the number one sports presenter in France, yeah. basically. Uh, and he called me, like I say, 18 years ago. I didn't think it was, you know, I thought someone's pulling my leg, you know, like you know, this guy from Canal Plus is calling me to see if I want to be on a new show. I was like, what? And there's a bad reception. So I was kind of like, yeah, right. You know, in my broken French, uh, <laughs> being, being ironic. And the guy, so he was thinking like, this is a really weird English guy. It's like, doesn't seem to be answering my questions correctly. But by the time I understood it was him, we agreed to have lunch the next day. So that was on Tuesday. We had a, a pizza in the 15th arrondissement of Paris. And he said, look, the show is starting on Sunday. Um, for example, we're, we're doing a special report on Bernard Mendy, uh, who had just joined uh, Bolton and was staying uh, at, in a room uh, at a hotel which overlooked the stadium. They'd, been, they'd done a special report on him. And they were saying like, you know, for example, you know, I want you to say, you know, like, oh, Bolton, we don't, we don't even know where it is in France. So if I say to you, tell us a bit about Bolton, you know, like, what would you say? You know? And I said, sorry, spontaneously, you know, obviously, you know, this is part of the fun of being the foreigner on TV. You, you exaggerate, you know, and you use the yeah. cliches, but in a funny way, you play with them and everything. And I said, Bolton's kind of like, you know, uh, let's face it, you know, no one's going to go there uh, as a tourist. Uh, Bolton is a kind of place that on a Saturday night in the pubs, you know, you don't have to worry about the men fighting because the women are too busy fighting in the pubs in Bolton on a Saturday night. And, uh, and obviously that's like a far stretch and an, an exaggeration, but I just kind of try to get the, you know, the, the yes. tone of the place 20 years ago, you know? 
And uh, he said, well, that's the kind of thing that, you know, you can say with your tongue in your cheek. But if everyone I said so, as a Frenchman, on, I can't say that on, on air. And I can't be, you know, I can't be dismissive of anything in England because it would be seen, you know, badly. He says, yeah. but you can come along and take the mickey out of your own country, out of your own players, out of your own goalkeepers, which is obviously that became a, a running gag. Um, so basically, that was, a, that was my Tuesday lunch. And he said, OK, well, I'll see you on Sunday for the show. No rehearsal, yeah. thrown in at the deep end. And because I was busy with my full-time job and my, and my little family, which was just, uh, just beginning at the time, I didn't have any time to think about how I was going to do this or, or what was going to happen. I just showed up, sat where I was told to sit, uh, almost like I say, no rehearsals, just thrown in and just you know, answered the questions as they came up. And, and basically, you know, my French was still very you know, dodgy in those days. But you know, there's a great thing you know, when, you, when you just do your best, people appreciate the fact that you're speaking their language. And because lots of people over here love uh, English football, they were they they gave me a lot of leeway and it was kind of like oh you know who's this funny guy from england you know they they let me get away with a lot of stuff you know and some sometimes my stories and uh, would ramble on in you know in dreadful vocabulary and had to be saved by the presenter but little by little i got used to the, you know, the idea of delivering crisper sentences and and just getting a few puns in every every weekend you know and, yeah. and people enjoy that because you know, normally football shows weren't really uh, based around many, many jokes or, or gags. And that's what Gary Lineker has done so well, of course, in England, made, it, made his show you know, pleasant to watch because of the tone that he, that he has. And, and I just thought, well, you know, I've got to, that's, that's how I am anyway, you know. Uh, and I wanted to just be myself on air. And basically because it was just a bit of fun back in the day. Yeah, I thought I've got nothing to lose. I'm just here to, to you know, to do this. It may only last one season, so I just thought I'm just going to have a, I was going to enjoy myself, you know, and be myself and 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 muck about and everything. And that ended up being exactly what they wanted. So lucky yeah. me. Yeah, well, I think that's the thing as well. When you don't necessarily, you know, you didn't. I mean, correct me if I'm wrong, but you didn't spend five years thinking you were going to land a presenting job at Canada. <laughs> <or at, laughs> <No>. Never <laughs> a football Never. show. So, it, in a way that because there isn't that build-up of pressure to the moment as you say you get to just what do you have to lose almost when you were a kid Darren was football your absolute dream or did you aspire to become a player or was it really more kind of just in the sports realm in general that you were <laughs> I know like every kid you know I aspired to be a player I mean I soon realized I was never going to be good enough uh you kick around you know I basically you know like any other football crazy kid I would come home from school dump my gear and, and run out the back and play football in the garages until they built a park nearby and then we'd go over to the park. Um, all my spare time was, was spent playing football. I played for a local team, but like I say, you know, I was like just a very, very average, if not below average player, which was kind of normal because my dad was a, a crap player as well. And um, so it was, it was a passion and every weekend, you know, I'd get on my, on my bike and just cycle around the local parks watching games, you know, uh, on my own, weird. Um, and then when I was a little bit older and I had a, a part-time job, you know, I had enough cash to go and play, go and watch Brighton play every weekend because that's where I, I grew up near Brighton. So I would be uh, over at the stadium you know, for just about every home game from the age of 12, 13 onwards. And, um, and it was, it's just always been, yeah, it's always been a big part of my life and sport in general has, but, but football by, by far the, the biggest interest. But I, I kind of, when I was younger, 14, 13, 14, I wanted to be a journalist but I dreamed of working uh, in political journal journalism. Mm. And it was only much later when I, I came to France at, at like 23, having as a, as a college dropout, uh, as a high school dropout, first of all. Uh, then I went to, I managed to get into college later, dropped out of that as well. Never finished anything I started basically. Came here with a friend, in, uh, came to Paris 
with a friend at the age of 23 and we became English teachers, you know, in these private schools that give lessons and they say yeah. no qualifications basically required. Uh, uh, do you speak English? Yes. Do you have a college degree? I kind of like bit my tongue a little bit and said, <clears throat> yes, <laughs> lie. And uh, then you get taken <laughs> on, you see, and then that's enough, you know, that's enough to pay the rent. And uh, me and my pal did that for a little while, basically five or six years, you know. Mm. So suddenly I'm like, you know, I'm getting on a bit, you know, 28, 29, and I'm just mucking around in Paris and I'm never thinking of what I'm going to be doing tomorrow, really, because everything's cool and fine and I'm enjoying it. And then one day I think, well, perhaps I should try to do the thing that I really wanted to do, which was, which was journalism. And... I thought I cannot get into this industry very easily at my age with no experience. Also, you know, politics, you know, forget it. I'm never going to get in there. And I thought that, you know, the thing which I, which takes up so much of my spare time, sport. I mean, I watch so much sport. I go to stadiums to watch sport. I watch sport on TV. Wonder if I could, you know, find a way in as a sports reporter. How many people have, you know, would love to do that? And how many people do love doing that when they manage to get in? And basically, long story short, you know, I, I had no idea how to do that. And I went back to England and I settled in Brighton and I was unemployed for six months. And I ended up working as a volunteer on local radio during the Brighton Festival. And, and you know, sometimes you just need that little bit of luck to get in somewhere, start, start doing something which gets the creative juices flowing. And, and I managed to get a little, uh, another job out of that. And then I, I saw an advert in The Guardian. So this is a long, long time ago now. Um, and it said sports reporter. Uh, in big letters and then really really simple ad you know three three requirements basically it said um uh it said foreign language you know a second language required so i was like okay sports reporter that's what i want to do second language i've got it because i've been in france for six years um then it said uh you have to have great knowledge of all, all major sports i was like okay I'm, I'm a sports buff i'm pretty confident on that and then it said a minimum two years experience and i thought of the old meatloaf song you know two out of three ain't bad so i <laughs> basically invented myself a cv uh and sent that off for this job application and it was with bloomberg in london and in those days bloomberg news was you know, almost nobody outside of those circles Absolutely. knew what it was i certainly didn't but i found myself in a in a huge building in the in the city of london being greeted by a headhunter who told me right off the cuff there were, you know, i'm going to see a hundred people over the next uh, two or three days and my job is to whittle that down to a list of sits and then bloomberg will take over the hiring process there's only one job and I really felt like just getting up there and then and said, you know what, I'm not going to waste your time because <laughs> yeah. I've got no chance. There's 100 people applied, you know, from a Guardian advert. They probably do have experience. They probably do have qualifications. And here's me, like, you know, <laughs> complete, you know, I just I thought, no, it's got, this is not going to happen. But anyway, yeah, it did. I got the job. Amazing. I love, I love the clarity that you have in your mind, like when you're really telling that story, specifically what the ad said, you know, it's, it's, you can always tell when, when, when there's a moment that people were. Oh yeah, it really felt like a big, it was a big, it was a big turning point. point. Yeah. A big yeah. turning point. Yeah. Thinking, thinking A, that I should, I should actually go for this job when in reality, you know, I, I shouldn't. And then actually getting it just seemed like a complete miracle. But sometimes, you know, you just got to get in the room as they say, you know, mm. uh, and I guess once I, I managed to, to get in there and I showed them that I could write anyway and, and managed to, Managed to land the job, which I, I guess doesn't say much about the quality of the other applicants. <laughs> <laughs> if you were to pick just three elements, Darren, how has the French football journalism space changed since your forays with Bloomberg in the 1998 World Cup? Mm. Uh, yeah, I think things have changed greatly. There's much more uh, openness now. But of course, that's a, that's a result of the you know, media explosion anyway. You know, the number of, mm. of, of, of websites, uh, internet interest uh, has, has, has enabled people to get involved in, in 
in many more aspects of, of world football. You know, and the French have always been fans of of different foreign leagues, and in in particular the, the the Premier League. But there's much more access now. People know more stuff, and I was lucky. I was able to ride that wave, you know, of bring, of new, of bringing in fresh you know, faces and, and fresh ideas because I was in the right place at the right time. You know, just as all this stuff was booming, there was I, you know, like uh, every time there was a big English game on, you know, uh, there's me there and I'm talking yeah. in, my rubbish, in my rubbish French uh, and, and helping spread the word in, in a way, you know, and it was kind of, it, it was really enjoyable because I had a lot of people stop me in the streets. And that's really weird, of course, when you come from the written press, you know, where nobody knows who the hell you are, you're totally anonymous. Uh, and then suddenly, you know, you're on TV and people see you on the metro and they're like, they're sort of nudging their neighbor and going, hey, that's that bloke who's from the TV, you know? And then people started asking for autographs and stuff because it was just before the selfies, you know, came along. And that's a really strange thing when that happens to you because you're just not prepared for that at all. Uh, and seems really, you know, like, why would you want my autograph? But anyway, whatever. Uh, basically, people would come up and say, you know, hey, you know, because uh, the French ways have been very antagonistic, of course, with, with, mm. the, with the British. Uh, and people would come up and say, hey, you know, tu m'as reconcilié avec l'Angleterre. You know, it's like, you, know, you reconciled <laughs> me with, the, with England. You know, like, you're kind of like, you know, the British ambassador and like, you know, you're doing a good job and it's fun watching you. And I thought that was, you know, that's, it's really nice anyway when you do a job that people appreciate. But when people stop you in the street to pat you on the back and then, you know, it's really pretty cool. So I was like, well, maybe this TV lark is... Uh, is something that I should invest more seriously and start thinking, you know, of of getting out of the the written press and and stay on TV. And little by little, that's what I was able to do. Yeah, obviously, there's been some, I guess, great moments with you say the explosion of I think interest in football in France for people outside France listening to this. The kind of backdrop, I guess, is that football has for a long time competed with rugby. Maybe actually not so much the kind of broadcast stage, but certainly the hearts and minds of a lot of parts of France. But Darren, obviously you have, you know, with the boom of social media and stuff like that, you have a lot more access to people, which is a good thing. But there's also the flip side of anybody can sort of send any message their way to you at any point. Have you largely been able to avoid weird incidents or individuals who take particular issue to the way you do things um as as mm. because i feel like as you say you you the role that you played at, at Kenneth Bruce and, and Bean it was a very joyous one to watch you know what i mean it was very much here's a guy who loves the game and is very different to what we can you know currently offer in the french broadcasting space but there is also this notion of of otherism and maybe what is he doing there you know mm. i think i've been very lucky in that I didn't take anybody else's job, you know? Uh, this is always a problem, you know, when you come along in any company, people are looking over their shoulders going, is that guy here to take my place? Uh, as, as the outsider, as the English guy, you know, there wasn't a, a, an English guy before me. So I came in and kind of created my own space, which meant that I had fewer problems with, with colleagues, even though there was always some jealousy. Um, and also, you know, just enabled me to like go off on my own path. And the only, the only, Really, I mean, like I say, 99% of people come up and, and pat you on the back and say, hey, great job, you know, it's really fun and I really like what you do. And, and this is, you know, like, it's an amazing thing to, to get that. But, yeah. And the only, the only kickback I would say is, you know, the occasional, uh, you know, I, 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 on my social networking, I, 
I don't hide the fact that sport is not the only thing in my life. You know, I talk about politics as well. I retweet different stories that, that appeal to me or, you know, I show my, my points of view on things. And sometimes, of course, you know, because uh, we don't all agree with everything, um, I occasionally get people saying, that, you know, I, well, if you don't like it, you know, if you don't like it here in France, you know, just go back to your own country. Um, I tend not to engage with those people, particularly as they often manage to get spelling and grammar mistakes in that, in that one <laughs> insulting sentence. Although I do sometimes underline that. Um, but otherwise, you know, I just don't, I just ignore that, you know, because it's, it's a tiny part anyway of, of, of what I hear and see. And I don't want to give those people any, any the pleasure of, of getting involved in a spat, you know, I'm, who wins, you know? Um, there's that old phrase of you get dragged down to their level, basically, you know, mm -hmm. and once you're down to their level, you know, that's, that's, that's where they fight, you know, so you don't want to be involved, you know, just rise above it. And I'm lucky. I mean, like, this is a tiny, tiny uh, yeah. proportion. Most people are, uh, are very friendly and, and very, very cool with me. And I feel like, you know, if you say I, I, joyous on air, it's because, you know, without any exaggeration, I still think that, you know, I'm in an incredibly lucky situation where I, I get to do uh, what I do, you know, talk about football live on air with, some great former players that I, you know, have now become friends of mine, which still feels like kind of unreal at times, you know, and go to stadiums and, and, and chat with, with some of my heroes, you know, I mean, bumping into Zinedine Zidane, you know, like I did a few years ago at Tottenham uh, game against Real Madrid, it must have been, when he was, you know, just uh, in the, on the sidelines still, you know, way before he was on the, on the bench. You know, and just chatting to him in the tunnel, I was like pinching myself, thinking, like, "Am I really doing this?" And I still have that kind of uh, aspect to to what I'm what I'm doing now. You know, with my with my career here in in France, just to think thinking that one day someone's going to come up and tap me on the shoulder and say, "It's like Darren, I, I don't know how this has happened. It's been a terrible mistake. You're not supposed to be doing that. Actually, <laughs> you know, come back to the real world. You know, but uh, in the meantime, it's like." Just, just having the time of my life and just carrying on with it, you know. And hopefully, you know, I can I can carry on a, a few a few more years before people get sick and tired of my accent. <laughs> you made a big leap in 2012, uh, more precisely February, mm -hmm. when you became really one of the first names signed up to the Qatari Run Beanspawn Network project. Yeah. I liked it when you described it a little earlier on as a big money transfer, or <laughs> well, maybe you didn't say big money, but a transfer nonetheless. Yeah, um, it's a transfer. Yeah. What, what convinced you to make that move? It was another step into the unknown, but I guess yeah. there were probably mixed feelings on your part because Canet Plus gave you that amazing opportunity. Um, yes, although I, I think, you know, I mean, like in football, you know, everybody loves the, the one club man, you know, the, the guy who stays with his own, the same club all throughout <laughs> his career. Um, but it's not necessarily a model that everybody should follow. And I, I like to think that, you know, in life, you've got to look for challenges and, you know, and keep motivated. And I did 10 years with Bloomberg as a, on the written press. And then I did uh, 10 years with Canal Plus. Mm -hmm. And basically, I'd got to a situ situation with Canada Plus where I was able to rise very quickly to a situation where I was presenting my own shows and everything, which was fantastic. Um, but, you know, they didn't do it to be nice to me or, you know, this is a whole myth about, you know, working yeah. for companies you know, and you should be like thankful or faithful to them afterwards. And it's complete nonsense, you know. Uh, no, no company you ever work for is your family. It's just an employer. They pay you. Uh, and you do the work that they ask you to. And the day that they've had enough of you, there will be no uh, emotion or, you know, or anything on their part. They'll just kick mm. you out when they've had enough of you. And you should, you know, I think as an employer, always keep that in As an employee, keep that in mind. And basically, I got to a point after 10 years with Canada Plus where the people who were presenting the shows that were the most important on that station 
uh, like Hervé Matou, for example, uh, the only, the only, there's basically a couple of people above me, you know, when I got to that stage. And there was, I was not legitimate enough to be able to take their place or have any pretension to, to like try and compete with them. So I'd kind of hit my own personal ceiling, you know, hmm. uh, which is why the timing of, of being sports was fantastic for me because here was a whole new station uh, about to launch and needed to, you know, to build a whole new team and offered me a whole bunch of, of new challenges, saying you know, I would be involved in presenting Champions League, and then they were gonna, we were going to present the European Championships in 2012, you know, so I was a, you know, the presenter of that, and then to present the World Cup competitions, which were coming up, because we had the rights for, for all the World Cups. And this yeah. was like, wow, this is hugely exciting for me, you know, to be given this new role, and also to play a part in a new adventure, because basically, you know, if you've, uh, well, you, you know what I'm talking about here, when you're at the beginning of something, it's extremely exciting, you know, and it's great to, to help build something. And, and as, a, as a one of the sort of senior guys you know, involved, it was, it was brilliant to be able to share the, the little bit that I had learned with younger colleagues who are coming through. Mm. And now we've been on air eight years and I really, you know, feel like we've built something quite special here. We do loads of stuff, which has become, you know, people, people forget so quickly. But before we were on air, you know, there were oh, I don't know, a fraction of the number of live games available to, yeah. to people. And also, you know, we've, we've done all sorts of, you know, inventive things and got all sorts of interesting shows uh, up and running, including, you know, for, t for the Champions League, a multiplex, you know, a version of that so you can watch all the goals as they go in. It didn't exist before, you know, and, and we were able to, to put loads of things like that into, into practice. So without, you know, wanting to, to be like a good corporate man and sell my own company, basically <laughs> the, the, the thing that was exciting for me was the challenge, being at the beginning of something and being given you know, the, the chance to, to explore new avenues that for me personally you know, and, and have extra responsibility and to, and to be a leader. And that was really, really exciting, something I, I really enjoy. I love having a, a big team around me and, and you know, leading projects and you know, having a blank page in front of me and they say, right, okay, we're going to do the World Cup. We're, we're broadcasting every game live. How do you think we should do it? What kind of show should we do? You know, where do you see yourself in that? You know, and, and we had amazing shows, you know, like for example, you know, the European Championships 2016, World Cup 2018, live shows after the games in the evening with an amazing panel with a, with a, the, a studio audience, you know, and we, you know, and I invented the, the end of the show quiz between the different teams on, on the show, you know, so we had, you know, amazing memories, people like Arsene Wenger, you know, standing up, haranguing the crowd because his team was, was winning the quiz, you know, whilst, you know, opposite him, there's Luis Fernandez and, and Christian Vieri and, and yeah. Rude Hullet, you know, and just amazing figures like, you know, A, it's brilliant to have them anyway, but then B, they would join in the fun and games of the show that we put in place. Mm. It was going out live every night and people were loving it. And I was loving it. I was in the middle of all this. It was absolutely stupendous. So, like, you know, why wouldn't I take that risk those eight years ago, you know, and get on board a, a new adventure? It was totally the right thing for me at the right time. Yeah, I think there are a couple interesting things to say about being, I think the first thing is I concur with you in terms of I've watched World Cup coverage in many different countries and many different languages, but the quality of the coverage and the sheer just awesomeness of, of the individuals involved in that yourself included makes that by far my, my favorite destination in, in, in various languages to, to watch well the same with the euros but the second thing that i think is interesting about being is the talent that they backed stuck with and promoted mm -hmm. um you know the idea you say the idea of having reached a ceiling at, at 
Canal Plus is, is certainly, you know, because you were, you were always still going to be that English guy. Not that you were in a box per se. I know you, you know, you presented on, on a multitude of, of different shows, but you know, Bean basically decided you're actually just the, the everything guy. You know what I mean? It goes from, <laughs> it goes from that to the sort of the, the international competitions, as you say, Champions League. Now, obviously, particularly recently, Bundesliga as well. But people like Andor Bonnet, people like Margot Dumont, and then on that other side, the, the quality of the punditry is just, it's just next level. You know, Bézaï, Arsene Wenger, obviously, and, and other greats that you've mentioned. And, and that you really don't actually have, you certainly didn't have it anywhere in, in France, but you really don't have it anywhere worldwide. I mean, I think, Darren, you'd, you'd put uh, <laughs> Wenger and Bézaï up against Jermaine Genus and, and Alan Shearer. And <laughs> quite, you know, quite, quite understandably. And I, I think that's, that's what has made the, the eight years of, of, of watching uh, Bean have done is special. The quality, but then also really backing individuals who bring different perspectives and, and, and different skill sets. Someone like Anlar, who speaks uh, 12,800 languages. Yes. Um, yeah. <laughs> and is still so, learning new ones as we speak. Yeah. But, um, you know, what's also been a great, um, a great thing for us uh, as journalists is that we have been given the opportunity to express ourselves and to, and to invent, you know, mm. uh, and that's a, that's a great thing, you know, and we've been trusted to, to come up with ideas and to build shows and to put projects together. And that's really exciting because, you know, when you're in a, in a structure which has been there for a long time, they have ways of doing things. And often they're, they're, they're very good ways of doing things. And that's why it's been worked out that way, but it can be also be stifling. And yeah. here, you know, this was like I say again, you know, just a blank page basically. And like, okay, what are we going to do with this? And what, what should we do with that uh, thing? And then how are we going to tackle this? And we had the great good fortune as well of being in you know, a whole new station. So we have, t we have 10 outlets, you know, we've got three major stations and then the, the, the seven like extra, extra. So we, can, we can show 10 live games at the same time across our network if we, if we want to, you know, and we often do at the weekends, which is also, you know, like a, a, a great thing. And gives us all sorts of opportunities. And, and personally, you know, I've also been able to, to get involved with, with rugby here because we had the you know, European Cup. Yeah. I've, presented, I've presented, you know, shows from Wimbledon. This is one of the big differences, you know, between fr French uh, and English broadcasting, if you like. Uh, somebody like Gary Lineker in, in England, to whom I am not at all comparing myself, he's way above uh, anything, like any talent that I've got. But he has <laughs> been able to, in, in England, as other sports presenters, you know, present you know the golf present tennis present yeah. football because you're you're seen as you know, a presenter a presenter is a is a is a, a thing that's your job you, you present so you don't have to present one sport you can you know do all sorts of sports if you're if you're competent and interested in those sports and that's something i've always aspired to here and i i've always felt a little bit uh, that it's problematic this whole pigeonholing over yeah. here you know like oh no you're the football guy when i was at canal plus for example they had the rights to wimbledon but they'd never put me on the Wimbledon team. Yeah. Whereas I was, you know, <laughs> I, I could have brought the same qualities to the tennis as I was bringing to the football as the English guy. Mm. Uh, and yet they never let me on the tennis team because there was already like a tennis team when I was on the football team. But it's kind of stupid, you know, and, uh, and a waste. And, and I've liked the fact that here at Being Sports, you can move around a little bit and then have a little bit more leeway. I was at the, the 2012 Olympics, mm. uh, which obviously was you know, one of the most extraordinary things I've done as a journalist. And, and from there, like I say, to Wimbledon, to, to back to football. To, so, yeah, you know, that's, that's been exciting to be able to like, dabble in, in other things as well. And I think that's really important to, to feel that you can be creative and be backed by, uh, by your managers and who trust you to, to do good work and to, you know, to grab hold of opportunities. So that's, 
that's yeah. one of the things which has really been uh, a winning part of that decision. It was wasn't easy to decide to leave you know basically if you don't understand the situation in France Canal Plus was you know always like the place to be for a sports journalist it was like the, considered the the top of the top and and nobody left basically once you got in there you know you, st you tried to stay for life so so when I left to join B in Sports this whole new adventure uh, it was like not, not quite headline news but you know there was it was a story about it in Le Keep for God's sake and then a couple of days later my former boss was interviewed in Le Keep just to talk about me leaving what it meant and all this kind of stuff so it's kind of kind of weird um and yeah. you know, kind of it's true they didn't take it uh, very well uh, they weren't very classy about it but it's also because they they had their noses put out a little bit you know by people suddenly saying you know what I'm gonna leave you and go and work somewhere else and they were like hang on that, nobody ever did that before but we're the best place what do you want to leave us for so yeah. I was like just get over yourselves how involved was, was Nasser Khalifi in making or convincing, you know, initial people to join? Was that something that he was involved in? No, not really. No, no not really. really. He, he did, he's, a, uh, as any top guy would, he's uh, very good at delegating to people with talent. So he had uh, uh, Youssef Alobedi, uh, who was the, the guy who set up the station. And he brought in Charles Bietri, who had also been the guy who, who set up uh, more or less the Canal Plus uh, sports department yeah. back in the day. So Charles was the guy who did the, the hiring uh, mm. and built the, built the whole team here uh, and got everything up and running. Charles Bietri, yeah, very, very big figure in French, French sports, of course. Yeah, no, definitely. You've actually, as we sort of mentioned, you became the everything person at being, <laughs> as you said, Olympics, tennis, all of the international tournaments. But actually, we don't see you much if at all ever, specifically on, on Ligue 1 or Ligue 2. On a Friday night, are you likely to find yourself, Darren, tucking into a Dijon versus Brest, or is that not really, <laughs> that not really <laughs> something that you're, uh, you're, you're doing on a Friday night? No, I do. I, uh, I like French football very much. and I, I did have a little spell at the beginning of the station when everybody was trying a little bit of everything. Um, yeah. they, I, did, I did have the, the I'd actually did the Friday night games in week one for, for a few, well, maybe a few months and, um, and loved it. Uh, it was really, you know, it was fun. And, and for me to be in the stadium is always, always something I enjoy doing live broadcasting from, from a stadium is, is fantastic. Even in the, even in the depths of winter when everyone's, you know, freezing <laughs> up in Brest where I went uh, for, for a game, I remember, but you know, the, the contact with, with other with people uh, is something I really enjoy, and the the welcome that I got in in many of those clubs was fantastic. And then you meet all the little guys and, and the women who are involved in keeping those clubs alive. You know, uh, yeah. very often on a voluntary basis, doing it for the, for the love of their of their team. And those are the sort of people I like to to hang out with. You know, the guys like in Brest when I arrived, and I, I finished my my pre match stuff and and put my microphone down as I handed over to the commentators. And a little old guy came up to me and said, "Hey, Darren, you know." Do you want to, you fancy a quick drink? Come over here. And there was like a little bar <laughs> underneath the stand where all like the volunteer staff would go and get a quick glass of white wine before the kickoff. You know, so I was uh, like, you know, toasting everybody for, you know, for a couple of minutes before the game started, knocking back a couple of glasses of white wine over up in Brest there. And, yeah. um, and, uh, yeah, and I love that. And I do, of course, I'm very fond of French football. When I first arrived in Paris uh, back in 1980, the end of 18, 1988, uh, I, I started going to see games at the Parc des Princes regularly. It was much, you know, way before PSG uh, became sexy. Um, but I was here for the first wave of, of PSG sexiness when uh, the team at the beginning of the 1990s started getting, uh, they went on a five-season run of getting to a European semi-final every season. 
Uh, and that was fantastic because I was going along to watch uh, David Ginola and George Weyer uh, lead the attack for PSG. Absolutely wonderful uh, players, you know, and they had some fantastic results as well. And the incredible thing is, you know, there I was on a, as, as an English teacher in the stand watching this and still feeling like I was a bit of a, an outsider and a total stranger to France and uh, thinking I'll be back, back in England one day, I guess. And yet years later, uh, I now have the chance to work with some of those guys. Uh, to, for example, you know, we're speaking now on, on a Friday. Tomorrow I'm, I'm on air and Daniel Bravo will be my uh, pundit. Uh, and you know, I used to watch him play uh, in the yeah. Parc des Princes, you know, a wonderful player he was. And now you know, I know these people and I, and I even you know, get to work with them, and everything, which is absolutely fantastic. And I saw uh, the famous match where PSG uh, beat Real Madrid 4-1 with the last-minute goal yeah. uh, from Antoine Combouré. With his header, with Valdo and Ginola in the team in those days, I was there. I was talking my ticket. So yeah, you know, I've always been a fan of French football. Once I once I got over here and started going to games regularly, you know, I was like, yeah, this is I like this. You know, I couldn't understand some of the cultural differences. For example, in the early days of watching PSG in eighty eight, eighty nine, ninety, I would see defenders, for example, desperately hang on to a ball. Uh, and try all sorts of dodgy passes, risky passes, which sometimes would lead to a goal for the opposing team, just because culturally kicking the ball into the stands would have would have seen their own fans boo them because that yeah. would be you know, like a defeat of some kind. Whereas, of course, in England, one of our defenders hoofs the ball into the stands or out of the stadium completely. <laughs> We're like, well played, mate. You know, like, yeah. the danger. <laughs> well done. It was fascinating seeing seeing that just that one difference told us so much about the two the two approaches to football. And then little by little, yeah, I started going around and, and seeing more and more French stadiums. So so yes, I'm a fan of French football very much, and I wish I could uh, I wish I could get out to more games. But obviously, you know, I'm working on air most weekends when the games are played. But I do watch uh, the big matches every weekend in France. So not quite as strong as a bond with Ligue 1 as the Premier League, probably quite understandably. Well, you you got to think about where your where your bread's being buttered. Um, so <laughs> I've I've got to stay in touch with the my Premier League guys, and also uh, I had the chance now to do a show where I do the the big games from Germany, Italy, and Spain as well. Yeah. So so I'm kind of Mr. European football these days. Although we do have the FA Cup quarterfinals coming up this weekend, so that's a little chance for me to to get back to my roots. You really you do have a huge appetite though, because I had a look at one of. I went back through, uh, I think it was an early weekend. It must have been an August weekend at the beginning of the season, looking at everything that you were <laughs> responsible for. And, you know, you go, from, you go from a championship match, I think you're covering Leeds, Stoke or something like that, mm-hmm. um, on, on one of the kind of further channels, as you say, the European football side of stuff. And, I mean, I know Alex Ruiz has been, has been doing that as, as well. And it's sort of, uh, I guess, a bit, of a, a bit of a changeover recently. But... Um, uh, it's just it's amazing how how many different uh, sort of experiences over any one given weekend you might have have to be preparing for, uh, especially with this new mm-hmm. European venture where, as you say, you've got to be well versed in three in three leagues. Mm. Yeah, well, sure, for sure. it's also because now I love to just to be involved as well. So uh, I'm not a commentator; I'm a presenter. I do I do like the fact that. Uh, in England, you know, you are one or the other. In France, it's kind of a strange thing that almost every football commentator I know, and of course I know a whole bunch of them now, uh, nearly all of them uh, like the idea of being a presenter and vice versa. The presenters like to commentate on matches. So it's kind of weird. And uh, for me, anyway, it seems that way. And I'm like, well, what's wrong with just being one? You know, I mean, John Motson, I don't think ever 
presented a show in his life, but he was still, you know, loved as a, and cherished as as a fine commentator, if not the best. But no, no one ever said to John, like, hey, you should like actually present a show. No, just commentate, mate. You know, <laughs> and no one ever said to Gary Lineker, hey, why don't you go and commentate on that match? No, he's the presenter. But over here, everyone loves to do both for some reason, whatever. Um, and because we have uh, championship matches effectively over here on my station right now, and sometimes the weekends are so busy, all of our commentators, you know, are doing. Uh, they were doing French League games, League One, League Two, and then we've got Spain and Germany. And, and of course, the championship comes a little bit further down in the pecking order. And sometimes yeah. I saw that we were, we were taking um, outsiders to come in, you know, as a, a pigiste, uh, that French word that we use, um, to, 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 uh, to commentate on ganches and everything. And I was like, well, I don't want to take the bread out of anybody's mouth. But, you know, if you're missing somebody, there's like you know, a gap in the planning or something. I said, it's like, hey, put me in there. I'll go and do it. You know, Nottingham Forest, Huddersfields or something. And I don't mind doing that. Yeah. <laughs> it's fun, you know, I like it. It's a bit of English football. And so I'm not a commentator, but I do that occasionally to help out and, uh, and go and sit in one of these little cabins on my own with my headphones on watching a screen, which is infinitely smaller than the screen on which any of the viewers are watching it. And I do my little, you know, commentary uh, in my little cabin there. Um, yeah. I do my best to sort of just... Uh, with the, you know, I think sometimes a, a championship game goes down better with an English accent as well. Mm. No, for sure, for sure, <laughs> I, I agree. Um, as you say, the Bean Experience has led to you spending time with really some of the all-time footballing greats, certainly, as you say, 80s, 90s, but also in the sort of 21st century of the footballing world. And I wanted to zero in quickly on a couple, Darren. David Beckham was someone who you got to interview during his stint at PSG in 2013. Yes. Did he strike you then to be as ambitious as ever? Or did it very much feel like he was attracted to sort of Paris, the city, some sort of romantic séjour almost? <laughs> mm. Oh, I'm sure that you know, the, the, the location, the city of Paris played a part in his decision for sure. I mean, why, why, why wouldn't he? You know, he's, he's human after all. Uh, but no, seriously, he's totally, totally um, ambitious as, as on the playing side as well. And, and a thorough professional who spent you know, just a short amount of time at the club, but w was already... Uh, by the time he left, just a few months later, you know, was fated as if he'd been here forever. You know, the people loved him. Uh, fans loved him. Everybody at the club appreciated him. He was, you know, one of those guys, if you, if you only follow things, you know, from afar, you couldn't understand why people like David Beckham. But when you have the chance to see him in his everyday work situation, the guy mm -hmm. is like a model professional, really friendly guy for a start, nice, you know, treats everybody uh, equally. You know, and this, we shouldn't even be having to underline this, but, you know, it's yeah, basically yeah. just being a, a good bloke. Uh, and, and that's what he did. And I remember that day when he arrived for his first press conference. Yeah. Um, basically, we, I, I had to do a, had to. Um, I was lucky enough to be the guy who interviewed him. Uh, straight after the press conference, he was brought into the, into the changing room at the Parc des Princes. Uh, where I was waiting with my team and we sat him down, we put the mic on and went live with a, like a 30 minute chat or something. And mm. he was just so good because, you know, he'd been around the block a few times and he knew how these things worked. Uh, uh, once he picked up, you know, the, who I went, we had one minute before we on air, you know, so I managed to just sort of say that, uh, that I'm the English guy for this station and blah, blah, blah. As soon as we were on air, he was all, you know, well, you know, Darren, uh, this, this, this and that. Well, you know, Darren, that's a good question. Now, he put my name in three or four times so that my little nephew back in England, when he saw the video on, on Daily Motion or YouTube or something, he was like going, oh my God, you're friends with David Beckham. <laughs> <laughs> and that's, that's what David Beckham is so good at, you know.
getting yeah. across, you know, like straight away. He's almost like a politician. He's very clever, but he's he's got you know he's it seems genuinely he's a, he's got a human touch. And I saw this is some of the signs you get. You know, you're lucky to be behind the scenes. When he arrived, they had to rush him in. So well, there were literally thousands of fans outside the party pines who didn't see him arrive. He was brought through in a back door uh, because he was running slightly late. When I'd finished my interview, uh, the club said to him. Hey, um, we've got a car waiting outside to whisk you off to the airport, if you like, you know, um, so we can get that plane. And David said, uh, he was still just within earshot. I heard him clearly say, no, when I came in, uh, you know, I avoided the fans and everything. I can, you know, I heard them, I saw them there. Uh, I have to go out the front and, and say hello, you know, before I leave. Yeah. And he yeah. didn't have to do that, you know, no, there's no, there's correct. nothing, you know, but he, it's just a, you know, a decent thing to do. And he went out and he, and he smiled and he, and he did some autographs and he did, did some photos with the guys. I think. And that's just, that's David Beckham for you. And uh, lots of players are, are really decent people and, and would do the right thing, but, but not everybody, you know, <laughs> not, not everybody by far. And you know, there's been some big stars at PSG in recent years, you know, who would not have done what he did. Yeah. You've also had Arsene Wenger on your panel countless times and, and you've mm-hmm. interviewed him recently well, I think actually the most recent time was on, on your European football show when the Bundesliga just came back. Or maybe, right. maybe even even more recently. He seems to be popping up a lot um, on Vinspoir uh, France. Perhaps, perhaps surprisingly as well. I was surprised how much TV he's still doing. Having well, you know, Arsene Ars- 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 is such a passionate guy um, that he could easily just stop. You know, I mean, if you stop and think how much he has earned in the last, you know, 30 years, uh, staggering amounts, you know, more money than he could ever need or, or that his, you know, his family will need or the next generation and the generation after that, probably. Um, so I often wonder, like I said, Arsene, just, why don't you just kick back? You know, the last World Cup 2018, he could have spent his time swanning around in the VIP lounges, uh, sharing plane journeys with his friend David Dean because they're still very close. And David was out there watching games, you know, for the pleasure uh, and, and using a private plane and everything. And Arsene could have just done that, you know, just kicked back and enjoyed the, the enjoyed the putty four in the in the in the nice <laughs> you know VIP lounges and stuff. But no, you know, he was a pundit for us during the World Cup again. And I was delighted, of course, to have him, have him on, my, on my panel and stuff. I was also, like, mystified as to why he would carry on working. I'd be like, if I was you, you know, I would just be in there knocking back the free drinks and enjoying the football from the, from the warm seat. Mm. But no, he's, yeah, he loves it. And, and it sounds funny, perhaps, but he really does enjoy it. And even though sometimes uh, when we ask him to do too much, I can see him get thinking, like, oh, God, you know, why am I here? Uh, 99% <laughs> of the time. He's actually really keen, really enthusiastic. And every time I sit down and do an interview with him, because I have this great good fortune to do a monthly interview with him for, my, for the company, mm. uh, for being sports, because uh, he has a contract with us. I sit down and we, we're supposed to do 30 minutes. I always stretch it to an hour. And he never complains, because he's always got so much to say. And Arsene Wenger is one of those guys, you know, you can just listen to him forever. He's always got, you know, views that are slightly different from, you know, he, make, he makes you think, he challenges your own way of thinking. So it's absolutely wonderful. And for me, to sit down with him regularly like that, to have him on my show is just a, a real treat. And uh, the last time, yeah, that you referred to, uh, we had him on Skype uh, to talk about the Bundesliga coming back and everything. And we had a, a good, like, half an hour chat with, with him. And he was brilliant, as, as always. And uh, because I know him quite well now, we know each other, we can, we can get away with certain things. So I, I 
one of my first questions was, tell us a little bit about this FIFA role that you have now. Uh, but also, does that mean that we won't see you on, on a bench anymore? Do you not yeah. miss the coaching side of things? And of course, he gave us the, the run around with his FIFA thing. And then basically talked about you know, other things and never really got to the question of like, would we ever see him on a bench again? So it came back to me. And I said, well, and of course, that's as, as ever very interesting. But it seems to me that you didn't actually answer the question that I asked. And he said, Darren, your job is to ask questions and uh, you come along with your questions and I come along with my answers. And yeah. sometimes they just don't match up. <laughs> I mean, it's certainly not the first time he's... They're just rolling there. around, you know, it's yeah. like, you know, and uh, just to finish the story for people who didn't see that, we did get the impression that he hasn't give up, uh, given up hope on, on coming back on a bench sometime. But maybe, maybe more um, for a country and maybe for the next World Cup, he can land a nice job with a country that's going to be at the World Cup in 2022, I would not be at all surprised to see him back on the bench. Yeah, no, I think you, you can tell when he gives you that little smile. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> at certain points, uh, that, that damn smile, as people tend, tend to say on social media, you know he's up to something. Are there any sort of misconceptions you know, about him as kind of media portrayal, Arsene Wenger in, in, in the media versus how you've got to know him over the last... Uh, couple of years certainly he's much more uh amusing than he would maybe let on when he was you know in a regular press mm. conference situation here which is you know, you know he often used to say to me that um these days the job of, of a manager you know is there's so much less coaching than than media and and taking taking part of the human side of running a club you know having to deal with players uh outside of the training ground and then having to deal with the, with the media needs you know because yeah back in the day Sure, you know, when he started coaching, uh, the, half the games, well, no, I would say probably 80% of the games he was coaching weren't even televised, you know, and there was just a little press conference after with local reporters and that was it, you know, it lasted 10 minutes. These days, of course, you know, the demands on, on top level managers are, are huge and they have to be, you know, fantastic communicators and he's really smart so he can get away with, uh, with all of that and, and enjoy it. But because there was so much demand on him, you know, he would not you know, necessarily, you know, sit around and have knockabout conversations that could go on forever because he had so many things to do. The guy just never stopped working. I was always amazed by his work ethic. You know, he would be the first in at the club uh, in the morning. He'd be the last to leave as well. And football really was, and Arsenal in particular, was his life. You know, he ate and drank and, uh, and slept Arsenal. So, so the guy is an, a, a, an incredible worker. Uh, and what that maybe prevented people from seeing was, was the fun side. Yeah, and I, mm. that's the, the thing that I, you know, lots of little things I enjoy from my, from my job, you know, when I say I'm lucky, is that when I'm behind the scenes uh, on these big competitions, World Cups and European Championships, where you know, I've got him on my panel, I'm in the green room you know, with them, you know, watching games and having little snacks before we go back on air. And Arsene is not the quiet guy in the corner. Arsene is the guy in the middle telling all the funny stories that everybody else is listening to. Yeah. Yeah, and he, you know, he can just he just holds the room, and I'm talking about room, you know, where there's where there's like I say, people like Wood Hullet, Christian Vieri, and Luis Fernandez, you know, all like big guys, you know, with with you know big, big personalities. personalities. Yeah. But Arsene is the guy telling the funny stories. <laughs> yeah, no, that's that's I've heard that as well, but I think that's that's really really great insight um, because as you say, it's it's Wenger the sort of serious guy, or certainly towards the end of his time at Arsenal, it was a tricky time, I think, and. People remember him more for the sort of serious nature, maybe sometimes, mm. uh, rather than that fun side. Awesome. Um, I want to talk about the Girls Only Cup, which I know you uh, had done 
a lot of uh, supporting last year, notably. I presume an additional event this summer was sort of prevented from happening because of, mm. because of COVID. Yes, sadly. Tell us a bit of tell us a bit about that and and kind of what the initiative is, if you if you don't mind. Yeah, well, a, f- a friend of mine's involved in in organising that, and and basically just you know came up with the with the idea that well, so many tournaments are organised, you know, all around all around the, the country, of course, you know, locally uh, we're talking. Um, but it's all, you know, it, it's all guys, you know, or, or they just add on a women's event now, you know, which is like, you know, the, the sort of, the way to sort of cock an eye, you know, like, okay, yeah, you know, women play, right, so we'll also like, we'll add on a little women's thing to, to our regular tournaments and stuff. And my friend basically was like, you know what, that's not the way to go about things and we should just uh, start organizing tournaments just for the women just for girls and i say girls particularly and and deliberately because the tournament that we're talking about was organized at different age levels you know for different girls uh and then for adults uh, as well which meant that a whole tournament was set up you know and, and in all, all the neighboring towns were, were brought along we're talking about down in burgundy and na- neighboring towns were invited to like send along teams and you know, local clubs you know joined in and everything and it was fantastic and uh yeah a different a completely different atmosphere all the boyfriends and dads and mums and dads and sisters and brothers coming along to to support the girls teams mm. and it was fabulous because it was it was for them they weren't just you know like added on as an afterthought to, to some some regular tournament no here was a thing organized specifically for them you know right. and people coming along to watch and cheer them on and it was great and you saw on the faces of the, of the girls who were playing and taking part in this you know this is really something special and and the kind of treatment which they weren't used to and uh, and i just thought it was such an uh, such a positive event and such a fun thing you know i was just like glad to be there and to mingle and to be part of it and you know and, and blow a whistle every now and then to to get games going and stuff and uh, and basically yeah just a huge fun day and looking forward to to being able to do it again and hopefully the seeing that grow because it was amazing the reaction so many girls had such a great day and we're looking forward to doing that again. You could tell they were going to go off and tell all of their friends about that. And that was going to yeah. encourage you know, growth, of course. That's how it works. And uh, yeah, it was just a, it was a real feel-good story. Yeah, I wanted to mention it because I think it is a fantastic initiative. And, and it's also stuff like this, which you don't see in other European footballing countries. And it's an attitude change or an attitude shift that France has really been somewhat at the fore with. And that's mm. why you have such uh, investment and results in the world of women's football in France. Indeed. Uh, so, yeah, no, that's fantastic. All right, Darren, a couple now just on French football as it is. I really appreciate your time today. Um, you sat down with Thomas Tuchel, obviously, fairly recently. Do you believe he has genuine staying power at PSG in comparison to mm. the multitude of managers who have simply not? Well, you know, it's a hot seat, isn't it? Because uh, when you invest so much in a club, you have high demands of, of your managers and you expect uh, success um, and you particularly want European success. So we have the, the Champions League coming up, PSGR in the quarterfinals uh, again, and it's about time they got back there. Mm. Uh, and who knows, maybe this is going to be their year. I mean, they will be 
probably adversely affected by the fact that the French league was was brought to an end uh, perhaps a little bit uh, too soon with, with hindsight. The benefit of hindsight is always uh, a great benefit, of course. But um, PSG have to prepare for the Champions League quarterfinals without playing competitive football, which is you know, compared to the teams they may be facing there. Uh, that's going to be a, a problem, we imagine. But you know, the talent they have in the squad means that Perhaps Thomas Tomato will will go down as the first PSG manager to win the Champions League. I mean, uh, I wish that for him. I like him very much. I think he's a, a very engaging and 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 really thought provoking character. He's got a his own philosophy uh, and he has his his own ideas, and that cannot be easy to impose on a club like PSG, where you know you have huge world megastar football players who also have their own ideas, and that's also that was the, the downfall of Unai Emery who came in and tried to get them to play the way he wanted them to play and basically faced a backlash from some of the senior players who were like, no, nah, that's not how we play actually. And they ended up winning out and the football ended up being a bit confusing, you know, between what the players wanted and what the, what the coach wanted. Uh, Tuchel is very bright, uh, a very bright guy. And what we were talking about with, about Wenger earlier being a man manager, Tuchel has that. Yeah. He's an excellent uh, communicator. I think he, understood very quickly that he had to, you know, these days in modern football, as a coach, if you don't get the big players on your side, then you, you know, you're done for, basically. Um, but you, you have to be able to manage them and they have to be with you. They have to be following your idea of how the team should play. And I think he's, he's negotiated, negotiated that pretty well. Um, at PSG, of course, and this is what Leonardo, the, the sports director, likes to underline, you currently have two of the, of the five best players in the world at PSG you know, with Mbappé and Neymar. Yeah. Uh, and you have a, a, a supporting cast of, of wonderful players like Verratti and, and Di Maria as well. So the team has the talent to, you know, to aspire to Champions League success. And as, as any manager would tell you, you know, cup competitions aren't a great measure of success because you, you need all sorts of luck and things to go your way uh, to get to a cup final and then to win it. And it hasn't, the PSG have just had a succession of, you know, of disasters or misfortunes one after the other. You know, the 6-1 defeat in Barcelona, losing at home to Manchester United with that last minute, very controversial penalty. You know. they, they, things have just been adding up and then you're wondering if there's not a curse on the team. So actually getting past Dortmund you know, and into the quarterfinals was seen as a big, you know, psychological plus for a start. Yeah. And now, you know, they, they've got a chance and uh, I hope for him that they will continue to go far in the competition. They need to. And he certainly needs a, a good result. Uh, to be able to to build serenely towards the future, and we know he's got one more year on his contract. We don't really know what Leonardo uh, thinks of him, and whether Leonardo has ideas of his own uh, as to who should be in the hot seat. So it's going to depend on how well they do, I imagine, uh, for a start this season with the, with the end of the of the Champions League. But I hope it goes well for him because I like him as a manager. Yeah, fantastic stuff. And I think you make a great point there about the psychological game in the sense that when he arrived, the first six months was very much about becoming quite friendly and close mm -hmm. with players mm -hmm. before then adapting and trying certain things out tactically. Some of those things didn't work very well. The, the end of the 18-19 uh, campaign was, a, was not one that Paris Saint-Germain will remember fondly. But, you know, all of a sudden, you go through these tactical iterations and he came out in a place that he felt very comfortable with, with this... Uh, quite aggressive 4-2-4 um, before adapting again for the Champions League. So the, the cyclical nature which he's approached the period for, that he has been at the club so far, 
I think has mm -hmm. been almost masterful, um, as you say, in terms of it, in terms of trying to achieve that staying power. The fact that X, so to speak, was the return of Leonardo, obviously, and and we'll see and all watch with interest as to how that dynamic develops. Um, Darren, you mentioned just before we jumped on. Media Pro obviously arriving on the scene. They will carry 80% of Ligue 1 matches next season and are seeking to partner as well with RMC to bring Champions League football onto that platform, onto their new platform called Telefoot. They've also partnered up with TF1. Beansport has been obviously somewhat of a, a, a pardon, a, a loser in terms of the rights that they will have. Um, shows like Marti Ligue 2 won't be happening. And, you know, there is a question mark over the uh, nature of what broadcasting is going to look like for Bean. Obviously, no Ligue 1 matches next season. Um, what do you think of, of Media Pro? Um, you will have heard things presumably as to you know how they're shaping up what they're seeking to do I know there's a lot of talent at Dean that they've been looking at as well how do you feel about about this and, and how it affects Bean and and what do you think and um, what you make of Media Pro in terms of their early partnerships and early statements they've made well, it's true that we live in a, a sports broadcasting world which is ever-changing and, and, and really moves at a pace which nobody could predict. You know, just 10 years ago, uh, Canal Plus were almost on their own out there in France, you know, and in England, you know, Sky was, was by far the dominant force. And more and more uh, companies are coming in and trying to, to find a way uh, into this industry and to see if they can make money. Many of them come in, uh, lose money and go back out again rather quickly, uh, yeah. which is what's happening apparently with uh, RMC or SFR uh, over here in France. And that's sad for, for people who you know were involved in that project. And I have friends who are going to lose their jobs and, and I'm very saddened for them. And we have now this new company, yeah, Media Pro. Uh, setting up for, for next season with a, a big bunch of the of the French league games. Uh, that's all they have for the moment. So we'll see if they manage to get their hands on anything else. But um, it's not easy to set up a, a whole new station just on your local football. You know, be knowing that, and that with, with no disrespect to the, to the French game. Obviously, French football is the most football, most popular football in France. But we all do, we all also know that it's not the number one championship in Europe, and that the French audience uh, is very interested in in what's going on in the in the other big leagues, and that, which is why we're here and and doing Spain and Germany and Italy and having such good good figures for that because people are really interested in watching the big European teams play. And we have the Champions League coming back on being sports uh, in, a, in a year's time. So it's something for us to look forward to, you know, doing our big Champions League shows again. And, and next summer, for example, you know, we're going to be doing the, the, the Champions, uh, the European Championship. Sorry. Uh, so we'll have you know, the European Championship, then the Champions League, and then the, the World Cup 2022 after that. So, so we've got uh, uh, good things coming uh, as far as football come is concerned the French football situation with us and Canal Plus was part of a, a political and economical deal you know which we did with Canal Plus they we ceded our League One rights to them in exchange for a partnership which means that Canal Plus's um, branch called Canal Sat uh, which is a distributor you know they they are the, now the only people who carry uh, be in sports in France so they pay us lots of money to yeah. have us on their platform so that was considered uh, a good long-term deal for our company because it gave us uh, it's a basically a 10-year deal which gives us you know some longevity where we can now look at the situation and say well can I are going to be paying us for the next 10 years to to mm -hmm. be able to broadcast our station 
that's a long time in in broad, in broad sports broadcasting right now when some stations are coming along and disappearing yeah. after three years so we're in a transition period where we're moving uh, from one situation to another but like I say uh, we still have as well the two two top games in in the second division which has always been popular thing a popular product for our station we've got that for next season all the the major european leagues uh, and of course we're not just a football station because we also have the nba we have european rugby you know we have uh, tennis as well we have loads of sport handball as well so that's the different difference between us uh, and the new company that's coming along and we already have our uh, more than three million subscribers and that's one of their goals is to get up to that to those kind of figures so you know i'm not going to pass any judgment on what they're doing that's their that's their situation um it's all a new adventure for them i hope that uh, that it goes well in in the fact in the sense that you know they will be hiring lots of people that means jobs for for people i'm never going to be unhappy to see people getting work you know especially as another company is going going under and there's lots of people on the job market right now so Hey, you know, if journalists are being hired to do stuff, then, then I'm happy uh, to see that happening. And, and uh, we're going to be fair play about it and say wish that we wish them luck. You know? And in the meantime, we get on with our own business you know, in partnership with Canada Plus. And I think we're looking at the situation from a position of strength right now. Mm. So Darren's not going anywhere. <laughs> and, um, uh, no, no, I wouldn't, I wouldn't be tempted to, to go anywhere yeah. else. I've been uh, you know, very lucky to be part of this adventure uh, at being sports since the beginning and they have treated me really well uh, right from the from the first the very first contact that i had with the the station and the and the people running this whole adventure and uh, and i feel you know this is this is where i should be basically i'm very happy to be here mm-hmm. doing what i do and i think we've got lots of exciting things to come up uh, coming ahead like i say you know with the european championships the return of the champions league and the world cup yeah. you know these are these are things that which you know which get my juices flowing so i'm really looking forward to that <laughs> yeah i think i think every football fan is, as well um darren alluded to it but for those at home who maybe aren't so aware there is a big question whether media pro is going to be able to pick up the sus- subscribers it needs to make this entry into the Ligue 1 broadcasting market work financially because at the moment they only have those rights to the domestic uh, league action and the price point that they have mooted in press releases for consumers is 25 euros a month. And we have a situation in France where I guess a little bit like the global streaming market, we're getting to a point where when is the consumer going to break because Bean has a lot of European football. Um, uh, Darren alludes to RMC having issues, but um, they have had the Champions League football. Can I please? It's going to have the you know the Ligue 1 games and then uh, some some important Ligue 1 games. Eurosport's going to have the Coupe de France still. Um, so it's just this constant layering, a bit like I don't know your Netflix, your Disney Plus, these sort of things, and and that's the big question that that many are asking at the moment. Um, but yeah, really, really great to get your insight, Darren, in, in terms of the, the Bean sort of perspective, because you're right. I think Bean is some, somewhat maybe overlooked a little bit in this whole debate, but you've got the, all the infrastructure for longevity. Um, yeah, we've, we've, you know, we've been uh, basically building for the future, you know, yeah. stocking, up, stocking up for, for years to come. Yeah, and I think that we're in a pretty good place, yeah. What words of advice would you have, Darren, for young people who maybe want to get involved in the broadcast journalist side of football rather than the playing side? This is a question we ask all our guests towards mm-hmm. the end, just because it's, it's always great for, for those listening to get that perspective. I tell them to get a proper job. <laughs> <laughs> 
<laughs> no, I, obviously, you know, listen, you know, I'm having a, a whale of a time doing, doing this. Um, I, I do know, though, that there's a lot of training going out. There's lots of journalist schools over here in France, but, mm. you know, getting people ready, you know, and pushing them out onto the job market. And there's probably not enough jobs to go around. So it's a very competitive market. Um, it's not easy to get into, that's for sure. It's tough to, to get your first break. And, uh, and I know uh, how hard it is to, to get, I've been, you know, I was just really lucky. I didn't have to play by any of the rules. I was just, you know, like this, this you know, Englishman plucked out of nowhere to come and do stuff. And then, you know, got on with it and, and learned, learned the trade as I went along. And so it was a, a very fortunate thing for me. But I know that as a youngster, if you come out having done your, your journalism studies and you dream of getting in as a football commentator somewhere, it's not so easy. But at the same time, you know, it's not easy to get into the, to the top places straight away. That's kind of normal, isn't it? And it would be in any part of society. But there are, of course, mm. so many more possibilities these days, you know, because uh, of, and thanks to internet, you know, so many chances of, of making your mark and, and contributing somewhere, getting involved in something, uh, getting a start, you know, uh, with, with, on, with all sorts of, of possibilities. There's more and more uh, places which are covering sports and, and doing it in different ways as well, you know, and getting away from the old, you know, the, the, the old fashioned way of, of presenting and commentating games these days are all sorts of ways that you can consume uh, sport, whether it be live or around events, you know, whether it's written or, or verbal journalism, whether it's, you know, making little videos which are serious or which are fun. Uh, so there are lots of you know possibilities if you're inventive, and I think um, I think that's where youngsters coming into this whole world today, you know, have the advantage over old fuddy duddies like me because they you know they have the the technological skills you know to to, to use that creativity and inventiveness and and find a way to to get into this this industry I think and I you know I'd say to, you know to them to try to try to be different try to 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 come up with ideas and. Uh, and show what you can do, you know, because, you know, we receive a lot of CVs from people and they're all uh, pretty similar because lots of people have already uh, studied the same things and come along you know, from the same kind of standpoint. So I'm always like, listen, one of the big pluses that I had uh, was that I was different. Of course, yeah. you can't all be different, but, but, you know, try to get experience doing different things. If you can go abroad for a little while and work abroad, get another language, you know, add, add, to, add things to, to your, you know, add lines to that CV. Make us, make us be interested in you. Show us that, that you've got something about you uh, and that will help you get along. I don't know, Darren. You know, I've seen you with the, with the video camera doing your historical series for being during quarantine and, and for what <laughs> before. I think you're all right with the, uh, <laughs> with the um, less conventional, more youtube style of, of content. But no, right, so, you, know, you, you try, you try. <laughs> I think that's, that's, that's uh, wonderful advice. I think... Uh, I hope that that will, that will uh, provide a lot of value to, to people listening. Final question from me, Darren, today. What's the best piece of footballing wisdom you've been left with and by who? Although you, you might not even want to say who. It might just be a nugget that we, we leave out there in the podcasting ether. The best bit of football wisdom. Wow, you should have asked me that in advance so I could think about it because I know I'm going to change my mind as soon as I've given you an answer. It's like that, you know, what's your favourite song? You know, you say it and then you think, <laughs> oh, no, it's not really that one. Um, <laughs> favourite bit of football wisdom. Um, I think um, early on when I started being on French TV, uh, yeah, Hervé Matou, who was the presenter, and like I say, he's very famous over here in France, you know, um, 
he literally just said to me because I was I was a little bit mystified as to what I was doing there, you know, and why they wanted me uh, on and everything. And he just said something very simple at, at the beginning, which kind of just kind of stayed with me. I think I alluded to it earlier. He said, "Just be yourself." Um, he said, "What we like about you is is who you are and, and how you speak and and what you do. Don't try to be somebody else. Um, you know, don't try to fit in to what you perceive as the way things are done." carry on speaking, you know, the way that you speak, uh, bringing your freshness and, you know, and your, your, your joie de vivre, you know, and that was like, it seemed like very simple advice at the time. Uh, it was also a compliment, of course, because it meant, you know, that he liked me, so that was nice. Um, but yeah, I, I, I often look back at that and I, I see sometimes, you know, colleagues here uh, trying to make an impression, you know, going on air and, and speaking in a, in a way which they don't normally uh, do. And I, and I always try to uh, speak to the to my younger colleagues. I, I like a lot of the guys who work here. It's a really, really good bunch of people. And, and that's the kind of advice. I try to share that advice that Elvie gave to me. Be yourself. Be genuine. Uh, talk uh, as you would to, to anybody else. You have the, when you're on TV, you have this great thing and this is this is michael robinson actually as well i'm going to throw in a second second uh, source michael robinson the former liverpool player uh, who made a tv career brilliant tv career in spain and who recently sadly uh, passed away he uh, i spent a day with him in madrid years or years ago at the beginning of my tv experience and he was already a superstar in spain and he said look never forget darren that when you're on tv when someone turns on the tv and they're watching you in a way they have invited you into their house. So treat them with respect, you know? Mm. You dress up, dress nicely, brush your hair, make sure that you look good, you know? Because <laughs> you've been invited into their house for God's sake, and maybe it's the first time, and you want to make a good impression, <laughs> you know? And speak to them warmly and speak to them nicely, you yeah. know? And I thought that was really great, you know? That's yeah. to, to that idea of thinking that, yeah, these people are inviting you into their homes. And of course, you are in their homes. You're, on, you're in their living room very often. People. Mm. People watch you, and then during the big tournaments, I, I thought about that uh, during the the Euro 2016, when when my big post game show was was really really uh, massively watched, and every every bar around town was showing it, and and, and I thought, wow, it seems really weird sometimes. You know, you have to sort of like s separate yourself from what you're doing. And you mm. think, goodness, you know, all these people watching this show. I'm in all those bars, you know, and that which means I'm in all those houses, and I'm like. I'm talking to all these people. And, and of course, when you meet those people in the streets, you know, yeah, they do feel that they know you. And you know the whole French to and vous thing. You know? yeah. Almost yeah. nobody says vous to me, even despite <laughs> my advancing years, because you know, they're used to seeing me. It's like having a pal in, the, in their living room. And that, that's a really wonderful thing for, for yeah. me you know, to experience. When people come and go, you do this and you do that. Yeah. Hey, you know, we, you, we were watching you last night. And, and basically, yeah, you feel like, thanks for having me around, you know, thanks for inviting me in. And, you know, I always like try to live up to the, to those expectations and think, yes, these people are having me in their home. I need to be good. Yeah. And I think also it's just a sign of gratefulness, right. As well. And I think yeah. that's what's so nice about it. Um, and on, on, on that final point of being yourself, I think it's a pretty tricky and messed up time, you know, for many right now. And I think, as you say, if if you if you possibly can do something where you feel like you can be yourself and you're fortunate enough to get that break then then do so because not only are you less likely to succeed going forward if you're pretending to be something or doing something that you're not but also you're going to be a lot less happy doing it um so i think that's exactly. fantastic uh 
note to end this episode of the President's Podcast. Thank you so much, Darren, for your time today. Hope you enjoyed it. Yeah, my pleasure. Thanks. Thanks a lot. It was nice talking to you. The final word from me is to continue to adhere to all your local and national government's latest guidelines concerning COVID-19. Please stay safe, guys. I know all you French football fans have been the longest period maybe ever that we've been uh, uh, without uh, action, but uh, stay safe. And, and a note to say that if you're all still a little confused about why Liga hasn't returned, check out this very podcast feed for a great show breaking down the series of unfortunate misunderstandings that led to uh, Ligue 1 being the only one of Europe's top five leagues not to return and complete its 2019-20 season. Also worth to check out the Why to Get Football Group's new football short series two, eight minutes on the intricacies of European football every Sunday. Just search by channel on YouTube for Get Football and you'll find us. Keep refreshing those podcast feeds. Thanks again to Darren. There's a lot more coming but from us for now. Bye-bye.